we ended our first service this morning, which would have been sermon number two in this three-sermon series about the love of God with Romans chapter 9 right here before you and the difference that God made between vessels of wrath and vessels of mercy, meaning that he chose others to be vessels of wrath and he chose you to be a vessel of mercy. What an incredible choice he made. And it is our flesh and the devil himself that does not want us to fully comprehend or appreciate that tremendous fact because the devil is a vessel of wrath. And no angel that fell was ever made a vessel of mercy. God has shown us that mercy instead. God's love is obvious. If you will look at your life and others and count your blessings. I shared this with you in a recent email. Malachi chapter 1. I have loved you, saith the Lord. Yet ye say, wherein hast thou loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, saith the Lord? Yet I loved Jacob, and I hated Esau. That difference that I have already presented from Romans 9, verses 11 through 15 or so, is powerful. And here it is again in Malachi chapter 1, where the Lord appeals to it, I have loved you. They said, prove it, show it. We don't see it. He said, was not Esau Jacob's brother? But I loved Jacob and I hated Esau. I made a tremendous difference. I've laid his mountains. What was Jacob's mountain called? Give me one of them, Mount Zion. What was another mountain of Jacob's called? Mount Moriah. I laid Esau's mountains and his heritage waste for the dragons of the wilderness. But I, and if they try to rebuild, I'll tear them down again, right. is how this passage goes on. When you see four dots like that, it means that I have left out some verses because they were a little distracting to the thought that I want from this passage. And your eyes, the, the eyes of the Israelites, from their father Jacob, who was renamed Israel, your eyes shall see, and ye shall say, the Lord will be magnified from the border of Israel, because what a difference he has made. He has made a difference in your family if you will look and count your blessings. He's made a difference in our church if you will look and compare and count our blessings. He's made a difference in America if you will look and compare and count our blessings. We are blessed. And it is God's love having chosen so many blessings for us. Nothing. Nothing at all can ever separate us from God's love for us in His beloved Son, Jesus Christ. Because He loved His Son, and because He gave His Son for us, and because He loves us through and by and because of His Son, we can never be separated from that love. Now many of you know where this verse is going to come from, but I want everyone to know about this verse. And it's Romans chapter 8, and it's the last two verses. Paul wrote, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. It is impossible. 
every other love you know in this world you can be separated from. That person that loves you can stop loving you, but not this love. And this is something we want to be persuaded of. This is why it needs to be preached. I want to persuade you from these different angles and traits of God's love for us to be persuaded. I want you persuaded so that in your hours of trial, in your moments of loneliness, you know that God loves you. And when the curtain of death draws close, you know that death, notice this, it starts off with death. Death cannot separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He's already defeated death for us. He's promised us here. Paul was persuaded of it. You and I should be persuaded of it. That death cannot separate us from God's love shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. But I want to back up and show you the previous three verses. That was 38 and 39. They end Romans chapter 8, and you read them last evening, I hope. Verses 35 through 37. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Now we have another list. Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, or sword? Sword's death again. Can the sword, can death separate us from the love of Christ? Can these other things separate us? As it is written, and this is the lot of God's people, for thy sake we are killed all the day long, we are accounted as sheep for the slaughter, and the people of God have suffered great persecution, and we heard about Francis today, and 1260 years of martyrs, when the popes of Rome made war against the saints of God and prevailed, the Bible says, and prevailed, the Bible says. But, Nay, in all these things, ending with sword, beginning with tribulation, distress that Francis went under, persecution, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. This is the love of God and the love of Christ toward us that makes us more than conquerors. How else could he word it? How could he word it better for you or for me? more than conquerors in all these things, these negative events of verse 35, nothing can separate us. No one can separate us. Who shall separate us? No one can separate us. No event can separate us. No distress, no persecution, no famine, nakedness. It doesn't matter what hardships you run into. None of it can separate you from the love of Christ. And all things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Be stripped naked in this world and put on a rack for the cause of Jesus Christ. In the next world, you will put on a perfect, pure, white robe of righteousness. Be made lonely by having your family killed before your eyes in this life. You will have a whole heavenly family of the general assembly in the next world. We are more than conquerors. They cannot do anything to us. Jesus said, fear not them which kill the body. That is such a light, kind, good, blessed thing to have happen to get rid of our bodies. And then to be clothed with a new body. We win, win, win because we're more than conquerors. This is the love of God. This is the love of Christ. 
Notice this word again, separated there in the top line. Who shall separate us? I am persuaded that nothing can separate us. So you've got it in verses 35 through 37, and you have it again in 38 and 39. Did you notice that death cannot separate you from his love? Do you know what you said when you were married? If you had the standard vows? Till death do us part. Do you know what your relationship with Jesus Christ is? Till death do us start. Because death takes us to a whole new level of our relationship with Him. We're in His presence. It is far better to depart and to be with Christ than to be here. Till death do us start. Now, of course, we can start to have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ here and now, but I just want to make the till death do us part sound terrible because it doesn't apply to us as Christians and His love for us. And that was my mother's funeral sermon uh, eight years ago, till death do us part. It's really till death do us start because she was starting on a new level of her relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ while we're still here in this one. Death takes you to God, contrary to all other human relationships when we die. All other human relationships die as far as this world is concerned when we die. They die, but not so with the Lord. Let's look at Stephen about that particular point right here. Death. Did it separate Stephen from the Lord Jesus Christ? When the Jews heard Stephen's preaching and his summary points, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed on him with their teeth. Scornful rebels. The Lord had the last laugh on all of them in 40 years. But he, that is the deacon Stephen, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God. God revealed his glory to Stephen at the moment of his death. And he saw Jesus standing on the right hand of God. Every other occurrence that you find in the New Testament, Jesus is sitting on the right hand of the majesty on high. In this particular case, Jesus is standing up to welcome him home. And Stephen told the audience, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. And how did Stephen die? With Jesus standing beside God, standing up to receive him, he said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. That is not death destroying a relationship. That is death conquered by a relationship because we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. You know, we all range in age in this room from 89 to 1. And we're going, to come, we're going to come to that day. But the more you know about the love of God, and the more you think upon it, the safer you are. Right. And the more confident you are. Because you're more than conquerors through death. Because of Him who loved us and already died for us. God's love for us is so great that He went far beyond justification to adopt us. You know this verse. Some of you know it. Others of you don't. I want our children to know this verse. 
Look what the Bible says. Behold what manner of love, what kind of love God has for us. Behold, look at this. This is incredible, the kind of love that God has for us. Well, what is it, preacher? What does the Bible say is great about the kind of love that he has for us? That we should be called the sons of God. It is adoption. He has adopted us to be his own children. Can a man lose his own son when when you're God and he's adopted us? This is the love of God. Not just that he justified us and paid for our sins, but he, he adopted us to be his sons and his daughters. Romans 8 puts it this way, which you read, that we have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. We don't need to be afraid of anything. We don't need to be afraid of the law of Moses, and we don't need to be afraid of death, because we have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. That desire inside you from time to time, and hopefully more of the time, and hopefully in the days to come, most of the time, that says, Abba, Father, that calls on God as your Father, and you know He's your Father, and you know He has underneath you His everlasting arms, that is the spirit of adoption. That is the work of the Holy Spirit inside us to declare to us and teach us and confirm to us that we have been adopted as the sons of God. The Spirit beareth witness with our spirit. It is a fantastic, intimate, personal witnessing of God inside us, God in us, testifying to our spirit that we are the sons of God, that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs. You know, if we're the sons of God, then we're also the heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so, be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. Because suffering with Christ for the cause of Christ and the name of Christ is one of the evidences that you're a child of God. And so those martyrs, when they were going through the tortures, pulled apart in the rack, burned at the stake, when they were going through those events, they knew that that suffering for Christ and his cause was evidence that they would be glorified together with Jesus Christ as well. We have a spirit, and we want to pray for that spirit, and we want to pray for an increase of that spirit, and we want to walk in the spirit, and we want to confess our sins so that there is more influence by that spirit in our hearts rather than him being grieved or quenched. And when he is in our hearts, not grieved, not quenched, That is the kind of witness that we have constantly in our hearts because that is his ministry. Romans 5, 5 tells us that the the Holy Ghost is given unto us to shed abroad his love in our hearts. This is an incredible relationship. This is a relationship of love that far transcends anything you can even imagine. That this being would himself, because he's an infinite spirit, inhabit us individually and communicate and whisper things to our spirit that we are the sons of God and that he loves us and that we are safe in his love and that death cannot separate us. This is why we come to church. This is why we read the Bible. This is why we have this study to build our faith and to build our confidence in the love of God for us. To the degree that you love this world, You grieve and quench the Holy Spirit of the living God because he hates this world. When that happens, you do not have that witness alive, fresh, and powerful inside you. 
And so you have doubts about your salvation. You have fear of death. You have fear of all kinds of things. But perfect love casts out fear. We do not have the spirit of bondage, being children of the devil, to fear. We have the spirit of adoption in us, crying, Abba, Father. Ask him for it. Paul started the church at Ephesus. Paul was at Ephesus for over two years. But remember, in those six chapters of the Ephesian epistle, he mentions twice in each chapter the importance of another ministry and another level of the Holy Spirit. And that is what I want this church to keep praying for. That level and that ministry of the Spirit in you is far more important than your physical health or your professional success. We want the Spirit of God in us, like Paul did. Lord, help us. This is what he can do. This is what he will do. This isn't the only place it's found in the Bible. This is Galatians chapter 4 and verse 6 as well. God did not love us when we were lovable, but when we were sinners, and it commends, it honors and adorns his love for us very greatly. And you know this verse well. Scarcely for a righteous man will one die. It's hard to get a man to die for a righteous man. It'll barely happen. Yet, peradventure, maybe, for a good man, some would dare to die. It might happen. But this wouldn't happen. But it did happen with God for us. But God commendeth. He adorns, honors, lifts up, and exalts his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When you are loved for being lovable, there is the risk of you not being lovable anymore because you're not doing those things that make you lovable. But the Bible tells us that God commended his love toward us in that while we were sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. God loves us with an everlasting love. He's always loved us. He always will. Jeremiah 31, 3, The Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Amen. That's wonderful. It'll last forever. It's love that won't change. If you think back to all the P's that I began with in one of the first slides, it's permanent. It's perpetual. It's forever. It's everlasting. Isaiah 54 and verse 8, In a little wrath I hid my face from thee for a moment. I know I had to chasten you for just a little while. And I hid my face from you for just a little bit. But with everlasting kindness will I have mercy on thee, saith the Lord thy Redeemer. So a moment I hid my face, but with everlasting kindness I will have mercy. This is the love of God. It's throughout the pages of the Bible. The Bible is a long love letter from the creator of the universe to us as his children. God's everlasting love. Now notice, did you see those? We need to do something with them. God's everlasting love means he draws us back to himself by love and kindness for a relationship. The Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. But we're ignoring those words this time. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. Is that wonderful? When we've been bad, and he has to hide his face a little bit, and he has to distance himself a little bit from us and chasten us, who comes back? 
Hopefully we, we repent, but then he comes back to us, and with loving kindness, he draws us back to him. What if he let us go? We would run anywhere, do anything, without his grace in our lives. With loving kindness have I drawn thee. The Bible's filled with statements like this about his love for us. With nothing attractive about us, even dead in our own blood, God chose to love us anyway and to pour out his affection on us. Amen. Can you think what passage this might be from? Ezekiel 16. When I passed by thee, thy father was an Amorite and thy mother was a Hittite. You weren't any different in nature than the Canaanites among which you dwelt. When I passed by thee, I saw thee polluted in thine own blood. I said unto thee, when thou wast in thy blood, I said, live. Amen. Amen. Yea, yea, I said unto thee, when thou wast in thy blood, live. Amen. That little baby hadn't been swaddled. That little baby hadn't had its navel. That little baby was messed up and dying out in a field to its loathing. I said, live. The Lord has said, live to us in more ways than one, Amen. which is why we are here today, loving his son, Jesus Christ. Now, when I passed by thee, and I saw thee polluted in thine blood, and I said, live, when I passed by thee and looked upon thee, and we were as ugly and as dead as possibly could be, behold, look at this and think about it, thy time was the time of love. Isn't that wonderful? This is the word of God to us, about the love of God for us. When I looked upon thee, as ugly as you were, as helpless as you were, you couldn't add anything to me. The time was the time of love. And I spread my skirt over thee, and covered thy nakedness. Yea, I swear unto thee, and entered into a covenant with thee, saith the Lord God, and thou becamest mine. We were in this world no different than if our parents were Amorites and Hittites. And yet this is what the Lord did to us. And when we were his enemies, he chose us in Christ Jesus before the world began. And it was the time of love. This is a love story, the likes of which there is none to be compared to it. What a chapter it is. Other 45 verses of the deepest treachery that a woman could commit toward a husband despite the most treacherous rebellion and disloyalty shown to him God still loves his own 45 verses you know Father Taurus should have read Ezekiel 16 for those of you that read a recent update of mine and Father Taurus cancelled his subscription to the Proverbs commentaries because forgive me forgive me for saying it I use the word whore so Father Torres canceled his, his proverb subscription in the Portuguese language, even after I sent him 80 occurrences of it in a King James Bible. I wonder if he's ever read Ezekiel 16. Ezekiel 16 has some choice words to go along with whore, whorish, whoredom, imperious whore. You pay for others, you open your feet, you don't take rewards, you give rewards, on and on and, and on it goes for 45 verses. For 45 graphic verses. And people think I'm graphic? People think I say some things that are a little, a little too harsh, a little too street-like. What about Ezekiel 16? Right. Amen. After 45 verses, 
This word is precious to some of you, and I appreciate it being precious to you, and I appreciate you for having it precious to you. After 45 verses of Israel being a whore of whores and fornicating with everyone and anyone and paying her lovers instead of being paid by her lovers, we come to this verse, nevertheless, I will remember, because remember, as a, as a mother, as a woman, cannot forget a sucking child, I will not forget thee. Nevertheless, I will remember my covenant with thee in the days of thy youth. When I passed by thee, it was the time of love. I said, live, and I covered thee with my skirt, and I made a covenant with thee, and I will establish unto thee an everlasting covenant. God is so kind to his church. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for loving us in such a way. Nevertheless, I will remember my covenant. Have you ever played the spiritual whore? Have you ever been negligent in your lovemaking with the Almighty? Have you ever flirted with this world and been entranced by it and seduced by it and got excited by it and had a smile on your face and in your heart about his arch enemy that killed his son? Has that ever happened? You thank God for nevertheless that he still holds true to his covenant commitment. When you were baptized, you made a covenant promise by going down into those waters that you would rise to walk in newness of life. Lord, forgive us for not living up to that every day of our lives the way we should have. But thank you for your nevertheless. Isaiah 54 verses 5 through 8 are similar. Thy maker is thine husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. Thy redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, the God of the whole earth shall he be called. For the Lord hath called thee as a woman forsaken and grieved in spirit and a wife of youth. When thou wast refused, saith thy God, a rejected ugly duckling. For a small moment have I forsaken thee, but with great mercies will I gather thee. In a little wrath I hid my face from thee for a moment, but with everlasting kindness will I have mercy on thee, saith the Lord thy Redeemer. The Lord used the marriage relationship often to describe his love for his people Israel, for his church of the Old Testament, and he does the same for his church of the New Testament. And here is one of those statements along the lines of Ezekiel 16 as well. Even when God must chasten us for our sins, remember it's our sins, he remembers us with bowels and considers us dear and pleasant. Even when he's chastening us. Is Ephraim my dear son? Yes, he is. Is he a pleasant child? Yes, he is. For since I spake against him, since I told him I had to chasten him and punish him, I do earnestly remember him still. Therefore, my bowels are troubled for him. I will surely have mercy upon him, saith the Lord. Are you kidding me? Look at this God who warns his people by his prophets that he is going to have to punish them. And he punishes them. But he asks these kind of questions. Is Ephraim my dear son that I had to spank, that I had to chasten, that I had to punish? 
Yes. Is he a pleasant child? Yes. For since I spake against him, look at these words. I do earnestly remember him still. Right. The Lord never forsook me or forgot me. Therefore, my bowels are troubled for him. Mm-hmm. Does God have bowels? He does. And if you learn how to pray, you'll remind him and ask him about his bowels for you, right. which we'll get to in a few minutes. I will surely have mercy upon him. So when he's chastening you and you're hurting, and you want it to hurt, haven't you ever sat with your spouse and talked about what your children need? They need a good whipping. Now, did you mean kisses? Or did you mean a whipping? And the Lord knows that sometimes we need a whipping and it hurts. Do you remember back there in Hebrews chapter 12 where it described his chastening, that it's like a scourging? And it's not pleasant. <laughs> it, sa- it says it's not pleasant right. when it happens. It's not pleasant. But while it's being administered, look at what's going on inside the Lord. That is just wonderful. He can't wait till the lesson is applied, the lesson is learned, and he can turn again because his heart is burning with repentings. That was from before our break. My bowels are troubled for him. This is part of the love letter to you. If I read this from some woman to you men, oh, you'd be so attentive. It'd be unbelievable. It'd be disgusting and disgraceful. If I read this from some man to any of you women, oh, you'd be so moved and so touched by some other sick son of Adam writing you something. Right. But this is the Lord God of heaven. Amen. Did he say, the God of the whole earth is my name? Mm-hmm. That's what I'm called, the God of the whole earth? Right. And yet I have bowels. That should move us. Amen. should move us. God loved David. But God loved David despite David's obscurity. David was the eighth son that even his brothers forgot existed. That even his father had trouble remembering that he was alive. And God blessed David past and promised him future favors that men do not allow. I am talking to you about the love of God. It is not like the love of men. God treats his children differently than men treat each other. Here we go, one of my favorite chapters in the Bible, and it is God and David discussing the fact that David wanted to build God a house, and instead, God is going to build David a house. Then went King David in and sat before the Lord. This is one of the best chapters in the Bible, if you like intimacy with God. King David went in and sat before the Lord, and he said... Who am I, O Lord God? What is my house that thou hast brought me hitherto? This hitherto, the things that you've already done for me. You've already made me king. You've given me victory over all my enemies. Because that's when 2 Samuel 7 was written. Who am I, O Lord God, and what is my house? And this... This was yet a small thing in thy sight. What you've done for me already is small in comparison to what you've promised me, O Lord God. Thou hast spoken also of thy servant's house 
for a great while to come that my son will sit on your throne forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And here's the words I want. And is this the matter of is this the manner of man, O Lord God? What is the answer to that question? It is not how men deal. Men do not bestow such incredible blessings on someone of an obscure origin. David was a nobody. Do you feel like you're a nobody? Ah, The Lord loves nobodies. Do you know what he's promised you? That you're a joint heir with Jesus Christ. Has he been good to you so far in your life? Are you all with me? Like David? Has he been decent to you so far? Does he, has he held out any promises for a long while to come? Like you're going to spend eternity with him in heaven? Like you're going to be a joint heir with Jesus Christ? Does that sound better than your biological son sitting upon a throne? I say the Lord's given us greater blessings and promises than he gave David, but David knew about the ones we were going to get as well. Right. And what can David say more unto thee? I love that chapter so much. And I want all of you to love it to some degree. Does God know what you really are? Does he know what I really am? We don't even know what to say back to him except to say, is this the manner of man, O Lord God? You are different than anyone else I've ever met. This is the love of God. You'll never hurt by reading through 2 Samuel 7. No matter what diabolical powers come against you, God's love can turn it to a blessing. Anyone want to venture a guess on this one? If it's in the book of Numbers, does that help? It's in the book of Deuteronomy. The event is in Numbers. The summary of it is in Deuteronomy. This is Balaam's curse. Nevertheless, the Lord thy God would not hearken unto Balaam, but the Lord thy God turned the curse into a blessing unto thee because the Lord thy God loved thee. And what did the Lord thy God think of Moab? Get rid of them, which he did, which is chapters we have covered and will cover in the book of Isaiah. The Lord turned that diabolical plan of Balak and Balaam cursing Israel into a blessing. He can not only hold the curse at bay, he can turn the curse into a blessing, which is based on his love for thee. People write me from other parts of the world where superstition reigns, and they think that they are in danger because of witchcraft. But the Lord is able to turn diabolical threats and power against us into blessings. And their trust is in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and getting away from those things that might be attached to witchcraft. What a blessing.
It's his love. Because the Lord thy God loved thee, he turned cursing into blessing. Jesus Christ's love is so great that it takes mighty spirit power and prayer for it to be fully known in all the glorious dimensions. I've taught you this repeatedly. It's Ephesians chapter 3. It was part of our quizzing material for last month. Paul prayed for his church that God would grant you Ephesians that I baptized or converted according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. We need this. This is a prayer request. This is something we want to pray for. This is something we want God to know we care about. We need His Spirit in our inner man so that Christ may dwell in our hearts by faith that we, I'm turning it from the Ephesians to us, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend because the love of Christ is beyond comprehension. And it says so. It passes knowledge. It's beyond ordinary understanding. It requires special spiritual ability to know how much Jesus Christ loves us. It takes special spiritual ability to know all the dimensions of the things I'm trying to convey to you about God and Christ's love for us. So that you might be able, we don't have the ability without His Spirit. Right there. To comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. If you could learn how much God loves you and how much His Son Jesus Christ loves you and you embrace it and you comprehend it by spiritual power at a spiritual level inside you, you can be filled with all the fullness of God. It will be as close as you can ever get to God in this world. And we should pray for it. And that's why we do pray for it. And if you listen carefully today, we prayed for it. That we had, would have more of His Spirit to live victoriously. And part of that victory is to know the love of Christ that we cannot be separated from and that passes knowledge. It's, it's beyond knowledge. You can't know it naturally. I've said it so many times, and I hope that you understand that Paul started the church at Ephesus, Paul established the church at Ephesus, and all those wonderful passages that we go into Ephesus, the book of Ephesians 4, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, and verses like that, in each of the six chapters, there are two references to additional ministries and layers and levels of the Holy Spirit's operations with us that they did not yet have. Paul's church. And I've been over this one many times with you. This is what I want for all of you, and I want for me in that order. God's love and his commitment to his children are not withdrawn for even great rejection on their part when he's committed himself. Remember this verse? As concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sakes. But as touching the election, they are beloved for the Father's sakes. For the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. What a blessing. That even when we would do something as terrible in this particular case of a select group of Jews, as something as terrible as being enemies of the gospel, 
they were still beloved for the father's sakes because God had a covenant promise with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and his descendants that he would always have a seed. So they're in the election. It's wonderful. God's love. They're beloved. Notice the little the one word. They are beloved. God's love for Jesus is the love we may claim from him. For we are in his son, and his son is in us, and he prayed for this love to be in us. God's love for Jesus? Are you serious, pastor? God's love for Jesus is the love we may claim from him as our own? John 17. And the glory which thou gavest me, that is the Son of God, I have given them, sons of God, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me, and hast loved them, as thou hast loved me. Incredible. What's the great glory that God gave Jesus Christ? Going back and reviewing our outline from John 17 was precious in the last few days. What's the glory that God gave Jesus Christ? Thou art my son. Thou art my son is the great glory. Psalm 2, Hebrews 1. Wherever you want to go, thou art my son. What glory did he give us that he gave to his son? We're the sons of God and joint heirs with Christ. And that the father has loved us just as he loved the Son. And I have declared unto them thy name, and I will declare it, that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them, and I in them. That is the level of love, the degree of love, the, passionate, the passion of the love that God has for us. It's the same love that he had for his Son, because we are in his Son, and his Son is in us. Praise the Lord. What love the Father hath bestowed upon us. God's love is guaranteed by it including the death of his son, which obligates him by his choice, his integrity, and the family to freely give us every necessary thing. And that is verse 32. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? It is contrary to all logic. It is contrary to his integrity. It is contrary to his intentions. It is contrary to his choice that he would not give us every other, every single thing, every spiritual blessing in heavenly place. He would never withhold a single one of them because he's already shown the earnestness of his investment and love in us by giving his son for us. Right. That's the logic. He that spared not his own son, verse 32, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Amen. God in Christ's love for his church is special and intimate. It is the high example of how husbands should love wives. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. What a description. And it goes on to describe the end result that he intended by that love for the church. And then it says this, For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. That is how close we are to the Lord Jesus Christ. We are in union with Him by the electing, regenerating grace of God. We are members of His body, of His flesh and of His bones. Remember, God made Eve by taking a rib out of Adam. God put us in the Lord Jesus Christ 
and we are as close to him as Eve was to Adam by being made from his bone. Wow. Through the whole Bible, it's a long love letter. When God need, must afflict us, he is afflicted with us, and he'll carry us through it and save us in the end. Right. Isaiah 63 and verse 9, In all their affliction, he was afflicted, and the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and in his pity, he redeemed them, and he bare them and carried them all the days of old. That is the Lord's care of the Old Testament church and if you tell the truth to the Lord and to us, it's how he's taken care of you. Amen. He's carried you. He's bare you all the days of your life. And he's redeemed you. And in his love and his pity, he's taken care of you. I can say it. This is true. And not just an Old Testament fact. It's a true. It's true of his relationship with your pastor. I want it to be true of his relationship with each of you. And that you understand it. And you comprehend it. And you appreciate it. And you praise Him for it. God is not obligated to love us. He chooses to love us. And He joyfully basks in doing it. And mighty things for us. You know that I've given you this verse several times before. The Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. He will save. He will rejoice over thee with joy. He will rest in His love he will joy over thee with singing. What a verse. The Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. He's going to save you. He'll rejoice over thee with joy. He'll rest in his love. It's all about love. It's the love of God for us. He'll joy over thee with singing. He's excited about loving you. He's passionate about loving you. This is the word of the Lord to you today. God's love for His church and for you is so great, the angels desire to know about it. You know that. Which things the angels desire to look into. And for those of you that, of our quiz teams that learned Ephesians 3.10, why did God save us Gentiles and bring us into Christ? To the intent. Here's the reason why He did it. That now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places, that means the elect angels, might be known by the church the way God treats the church, which is you and me, the manifold wisdom of God. The angels. God did things in a certain way and created angels and had a, has a large number of them, an innumerable company of them, to show them His manifold wisdom by the way He loves us. God's love leads to His thoughts of peace and a desired outcome. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you. Do you like this verse? For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you an expected end, a desirable end that you would dream of and desire. I'm going to give you that expected end. This is how he thinks toward us. This is the word of God. I'm just sharing a few little jewels with you from a long love letter. I'm sorry that it's 31,102 verses long. I'm sorry that it's 1,189 chapters, and it, and it troubles and bores you from time to time. I'm sorry that it's 66 books long, two testaments, but it's his, it's his love letter. Amen. And it's filled with these if you'll read it and Amen. stop and slow down and embrace some of these statements. I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace, wow. not of evil, right. to give you an expected end. 
Now, what kind of people was he saying that to? The captives in Babylon. I wonder what he's thinking about us if we love him instead of being like them. Even when we backslide, which is folly, if we will repent, he'll love us freely and bless us. Amen. It's the R factor. It works. It's wonderful. Amen. Try somebody in this world. Why won't you forgive me? Oh, listen, trust me, I've heard this one so many times and not at home. Why won't you forgive me? You said you loved me. Well, I don't know anymore. What do you mean? Why won't you forgive me? The Lord's not like that. Right. Watch. I will heal their backsliding. I will love them freely. For mine anger is turned away from him. I will be like dew. He'll grow like a lily. He'll cast forth his roots like the cedars of Lebanon. His branches shall spread. His beauty shall be as the olive tree. He's going to smell like the forests of Lebanon. That is just pure goodness poured out in these verses. If we repent, I will heal their backsliding. I will love them freely. I'm going to just let go and give them all my love. I've withheld it. I've, I've separated myself for a moment, but I'm back because of repentance. The R factor works. Powerful. Yea, I will rejoice over them to do them good, and I will plant them in this land assuredly with my whole heart and with my whole soul. You know, he asks us, he tells us, he commands us to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul. But notice what he says about us. I will plant them and rejoice over them to do them good with my whole heart and with my whole soul. Do you like that? It leads to immediate forgiveness. You know that. I acknowledge my sin and mine iniquity have I not hid. I confessed and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. Do you remember the vineyard? He did all he could for it. He ruined it for disobedience, but he restored it with great care. Right. What more could have been done to my vineyard? And that's true of us. And look what he's going to do because we've repented. I, the Lord, do keep it. I'll water it every moment. And you're familiar with these words because I've helped you become familiar with them in recent weeks by the grace of God leading us to the book of Isaiah. Amen. Angels celebrate when sinners repent. And that reflects God's joy to forgive. They're not doing that on their own. They're doing that because it makes God so happy. Right. I say unto you that there will be joy in heaven over one sinner that repents. There is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repents. That's his love toward us. That when we've been wrong and he's chastened us, he's warned us, he's taught us, he's sent a preacher, he's sent his word, he's sent a parent to us. When we repent, the angels of God rejoice because God is rejoicing. Right. His loving restoration of sinners is not the manner of men, and it should cause hope and joy. Because of Proverbs chapters 5 and chapter 6, in the last week, a woman wrote that had been a fornicator, and an adulteress and had left her husband and gone to another man and the Lord convicted her and she repented to the Lord and she broke off her relationship and she went back to the first man and the first man received her back and she wrote asking what kind of punishment am I going to get for my sin of adultery And I pulled out all the little phrases in her email about having repented of it and rejected the second relationship. 
and gone back to the first relationship and, st and stacked them up into a nice little pile and told her, the Lord loves what you've done and He's excited about what He's going to do for you. And I gave her these two women. Right. Now Rahab the harlot, yes. did she do okay? Mm -hmm. Is she a great grandmother of Jesus Christ? Right. Is she in Hebrews 11, the hall of faith? Is she in James chapter 2, an example of justification? What more could you get for a woman? I don't know of any other woman hardly that has that kind of a pedigree in the New Testament. How about this one? You know how much pleasure I had telling her that Bathsheba was twice the grandmother of Jesus of Nazareth? How is she twice? Because she gave birth to Solomon that was the, fa that was the father of Jesus' legal father, Joseph. And she gave birth to Nathan through David, who was a grandfather in the maternal side of Jesus of Nazareth by being a grandfather of Mary. Oh, do I have fun with the Bible. Isn't that, don't you wish you could have done that for? You know what it's all based on? The love of God and how he restores repentant sinners. You know these verses that God will abundantly pardon sinners that turn to him. He will have mercy on them. Because God's thoughts are not our thoughts, and His ways are not our ways. Like the heavens are higher than the earth, His ways of forgiveness are so much higher than our ways of forgiveness. What effect should God's love have on your faith in your life? Human love causes persons to do extreme and strange things in great joy and desire to please. You know, you see a, you see a man and a woman in love with each other, they'll do, they'll do crazy things for each other because they love each other. Well, what crazy things have you done for the Lord recently? But God and Christ's love for us should affect us far more than any earthly temporal infatuation. You know, this earthly thing that moves people is mostly another word that starts with L. It's lust. There's... This, this is love that comes from God toward us. Paul said, the love of Christ constraineth us. It locked him up like in a straitjacket. There's only one way he can live. All out for the Lord. And if we're beside ourselves, it's to God. If you Corinthians think that I'm nuts, and I've gone crazy, and I've gone off the deep end, it's to God, and I'll take it. I've gone off the deep end for the Lord's sake. For the love of Christ constraineth us, we thus judge... This is our reasoning that if one died for all, all were dead, and that he died for all, they which live, that was Paul and you and me, should not live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. The love of Christ should constrain us. So what I've presented to you today should move us. It should get a reaction from us. And we should want to serve him with all our might. Do you know his love? This is the verse that I mentioned earlier. He sends his spirit into the heart of his children to make them know it, that he loves them, but most grieve and quench that Holy Spirit. Here it is. I'll just get verse 5 down here at the bottom. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. This is the most fantastic complete salvation story possible that God sent his son to die for us, but then God sent his spirit to inhabit us to testify to our spirit where no one else can hear that he loves us. Right. And he sheds, that, he sheds it abroad. 
He fills our little hearts. He fills our little hearts with the spotlight of his love if that spirit is not quenched or grieved. Do you know his love? The more you learn it and the more you show love to others, you can face judgment day boldly. There is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. Fear has torment. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. When we learn to practice love toward others, then it shows that God's love is in us and coming through us by His grace. We have no fear of the day of judgment. Cast out all fear. We love Him and we love others because He first loved us. And hereby... We know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him if we love not in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Right. Wonderful. There are so many benefits from learning about the love of God toward us and then showing the love of God toward others and toward the Lord. You should be fully persuaded of it. From Romans eight thirty-eight and 39. You should believe with full confidence that God has gifts consistent with his love for you that are beyond human comprehension. Right. David said, Lord, I can't believe hitherto that you have brought me, but these promises that you've made for a good while to come, well, he's made them for us as well right here. It is written, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Amen. But they're in the Bible because God's revealed them to us by his spirit. What will you do with his love? The apostles had to learn that God loved them and they didn't need Jesus praying for them. Do you remember this? Why we pray in Jesus' name? From John 16. In that day, after my resurrection, ye shall ask me nothing. All you have to do is ask the Father in my name. He'll give it you. Look at this. You don't need me to go to the Father. The Father himself loveth you, because ye have loved me and have believed that I came out from God. Just go to the Father and say, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, because the Father loves you like he loves me. You should be able to pray with great confidence that he wants to bless you. He's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. That's in the passage about being filled with all the fullness of God by learning about the love of Jesus Christ for us. I love these ten points. Our God is vulnerable in prayer to us. He teaches us how to pray so that we can be more effective. He hears our prayers. He shows us that we can reason with Him. He delights in our prayers. He answers prayers. He encourages us to pray. He guarantees our prayers by the name of Jesus. He enhances our prayers by the Holy Spirit and the angel of heaven with the incense from off His altar. And He exceeds our prayers by doing exceeding abundantly above what we ask or think. What would make a being do that for us? Right here. God's love. What will you do with His love? Will you reason with him? Remember I mentioned that it was coming. Look down from heaven. This is how you may talk to God. Look down from heaven. Behold from the habitation of thy holiness and of thy glory. Where is thy zeal and thy strength? Where is thy zeal, the strength, the sounding of thy bowels and of thy mercies toward me? Are they restrained? 
You should respond in kind. You should love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, soul, and strength. Jude warned us to keep ourselves in the love of God, that is, loving Him. And we need to work at it to keep ourselves loving God. And he, Jesus taught us that we also need to abide in the Father's love by keeping His commandments. And when we keep His commandments, we abide in His love. You stay inside the love of God, and it's not withheld at all. Do you remember this from John 14? What will you do with his love? For even more of his love, if you want more of his love revealed to you, fellowship with him and revelation of his love, then love, then love and obey him. Right. If you have his commandments and you keep them, you love him in the way that counts with him. And if you love him that way, you shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him, and will manifest myself to him. These, these, this is an incredible promise. If you will love God and keep his commandments out of love toward him, the Father will love you in an additional, incremental way. The Son will love you in an additional, incremental way, and they will reveal themselves to you. If you do, that's in verse 21. It's repeated in 23. If a man love me, he will keep my words. My Father will love him. We will come unto him and make our abode with him. And that is not regeneration. And that is not the legal phase of salvation. That is a practical expansion and improvement and increase in a practical fellowship relationship with God. Amen. The more we love him and keep his commandments, he will love us and reveal himself even more to us like all those 12 aspects and references to the Spirit's work in the book of Ephesians. Right. You know, we should be able to love each other in a similar way. This is his commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. We've heard about that today. Even as Christ forgave you, we ought to forgive each other. His love is by far the most precious thing in life for a man's soul. You should embrace it and praise it. Amen. Because thy loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise thee. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and I'll praise thee with joyful lips when I remember thee upon my bed and the love this God has for us. O Lord, by this is Isaiah 38, this is Hezekiah's prayer, that's not recorded in Kings or Chronicles. These are the details of his prayer that got him a 15-year extension and how he responded to the Lord. By these things men live. That is the promises that God made toward Hezekiah. And in all these things is the life of my spirit. Is this how you live? My life is dependent upon God's love for me and his promises to me. Behold, for peace I had great bitterness, but thou hast in love... To my soul delivered it from the pit of corruption, for thou hast cast all my sins behind my back. The Lord was ready to save me, therefore we will sing. My last point. What will you do with his love? Let's communicate it. Let's communicate this God and his love to the next generation. 
Here's how Psalm 48 ends. We have thought of thy loving kindness. That's what we've done today. We have thought of thy loving kindness, O God, in the midst of thy temple. We're in his New Testament temple, and we've thought on his loving kindness. According to thy name, O God, so is thy praise unto the ends of the earth. Thy right hand is full of righteousness. That was verses 9 and 10. Jumping down to 13. Mark ye well the bulwarks of this Mount Zion and fortress that we have of the New Testament. Consider her palaces that ye may tell it to the generation following. In a few minutes, I'm going to share a 40-year history and some years before that with another generation. Why? This God is our God forever and ever. He will be our guide even unto death. Children, this God is our God forever and ever. He will be our guide even unto death. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word.